Well, today I invite your attention to Jonah chapter 4 as we finish this sermon series of Runaway Prophet as we think about sinners in the hands of a loving God. In the 1700s, there was a significant move of God's Spirit among the American colonies, and it became known as what is known as the Great Awakening. And there were two individuals who were really individuals whom God used during the Great Awakening, one of those being George Whitfield, and you see his picture up on the screen. Interesting hair, you might say, uh, when you think about George Whitfield. He had quite the personality in the pulpit, by the way, if you ever study his ministry and study his life. The second individual was named Jonathan Edwards. Here's his picture. And so when you look at Edwards, you, you realize Edwards was an incredible, credible preacher. But Jonathan Edwards, he was a scholar. Jonathan Edwards was a philosopher. He was also a theologian, but he was a great expositor of the Word of God. And so on July the 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that God used to touch the hearts and lives of people. And many people said, even when he was preaching that sermon, and even afterwards, you could hear people crying out to God, asking God for mercy and and it was a message about the anger of God against sin out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. I was praying this morning and I thought, God, would you do that again? Would you allow us to cry out to you and just ask God that you would give grace and mercy to us in our lives? God, if you did it then, wouldn't you do it again? And he preached that sermon. You can go online and still read it and maybe even hear it. I've done that. It's entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's one of those sermons that is historical in many, many ways. But today in Jonah 4, I want to talk about sinners in the hands of a loving God. So the second great awakening, God moved, and I'm praying like you. He's going to move in our day and our generation as well. Let me ask you a few questions this morning in the room and those who are watching. Have you ever found yourself at a place in life where you felt sorry for yourself? Have you ever found yourself at a place in life where you were angry or mad at God for some reason? And have you ever found yourself in a place in life where God taught you a tough lesson in life? You finish Jonah chapter 3. Jonah finally obeys God and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the message of God and there is this Mass repentance happens in the city of Nineveh. And you would think, based upon that, Jonah would be excited. He would be on a spiritual mountaintop. He would be excited for what God had done and is going to do and will do in his life in the days ahead. But instead, Jonah found himself in a valley. And here's what's going to happen in that valley. He's feeling sorry for himself. He's mad, he's angry at God, and God's getting ready to teach him a tough lesson in that valley. Uh, we understand that. We, we go to a camp, but we come back and we're on a spiritual mountaintop. We go to a conference. It's an incredible conference. We come back and we're on a spiritual mountaintop. God, thank you for revealing yourself and teaching us so much. Or we have a Sunday service where the Spirit of God is so present and He moves in that service and people are getting saved and they're being baptized and people are joining, other decisions are being made. There's great participation among the people of God. It's a spiritual mountaintop for us. We understand those things. But sometimes, like Jonah, we find ourselves in the valley. Why was Jonah in the valley? I mean, God had given him a second chance. 
God had used him in the city of Nineveh to proclaim the word. And Jonah had been able to see with his own eyes this mass move of God for this entire city, from the greatest to the least. And even the king repented of sins and came back to God. Why was he in the valley? As you walk back through, as we finish this story of the book of Jonah, here's what you know. In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah heard the voice of God, but he ran the other way. He ran away from the call of God. He said no to what God wanted him to do. So he was running from God in Jonah chapter 1. In Jonah chapter 2, he found himself in the belly of a fish, and he cries out to God, and he said, God, if you'll spare my life, I will will fulfill the vow which I've made to you. I will go to Nineveh and I'll preach the message. In Jonah chapter 2, he runs to God in Jonah 2. In Jonah chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. He finally goes to Nineveh. He preaches the message of God. And there's this wonderful move of God in the city of Nineveh. And in Jonah chapter 3, he was running for God there. But in Jonah chapter 4, he's in this valley his heart is sad. He doesn't understand why God has, has, has blessed the people of Nineveh with grace and mercy rather than judgment. He didn't understand any of that. He, he even gives us insight. Here's why I ran from you the first time. And so here Jonah is. He's not running away from God. He's not running for God. He's not running even with God. He's getting ready to run into God. And it's going to be an interesting time in his life. I really believe this morning in this service. There are people here, God's speaking into your life, and you are running away from him. And I just want to appeal to you, stop running from him, but surrender your life to him and run to him. I believe there are people here this morning, you are running to him. You know what God's doing in your life. His spirit is stirring you. There's this freshness in your relationship with him, and you're running to God because you know God's at work in your life, and you want to see what God is up to and his will for your life. I believe there are people running for God in your workplace, in your family, in your school, in other places. You are a witness for God and you're running for him because you want to share the message of Jesus that he gave his life. He died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. You're having gospel conversations with people. You are running for God and you want to see them come to Christ with repentance and see their lives radically changed for the glory of God. But also I believe this morning there are people who are running into God. And God wants to deal with you. Again, maybe you feel sorry for yourself. Maybe you're angry, mad at God because something's not going your way. You don't understand what God is up to in your life. And you're mad and angry about that. And God's getting ready to teach you a tough lesson for you in life. And we're going to see that in Jonah chapter 4. Here's what happened to Jonah. Jonah had this pity party. But the interesting thing, he didn't invite anyone else, only himself. How many of you are very good at having a pity party? You didn't invite anyone else to join you. It's just you. If so, you identify with Jonah very, very well. So let's walk through this outline. Decide now how you will handle opposition. One of the things you're going to know, you've got to think ahead in life. And, and leaders think ahead and they, they're prepared for what's going to come somewhere in time, whether it's weeks, months, or even years. That's, that's a great sign of effective leaders. They're always thinking ahead. If we do this, what does this mean? If we do this, what are the consequences? If we do this, what, what's it going to cost us if we go this direction or make this decision? And so you need to decide now how you're going to handle opposition. 
I want to speak to students in the room. There are some students in the room. There'll be some students here watching. In your life, you've made a commitment that you want to do what is right in the eyes of God. That's your commitment. That's your heart. You've made that commitment that you want to be faithful to him. You want to honor his word. And you want to be someone of character and integrity. I want to encourage you. You need to think ahead. Because what are you going to do one of these days when somebody in your life is pressuring you to drink alcohol? What are you going to do? What are you going to do in your life someday when somebody tempts you to use some kind of a drug to say, this will help you in life? What are you going to do in that situation? What are you going to do when somebody is pressuring you to cross your sexual boundary in life? What are you going to do? You need to think ahead and be ready to respond to say, I'm going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in every one of those situations. I'm going to handle that God's way. I'm going to be faithful. What are you going to do? You work in an office, and there's a relationship in the office that's getting very comfortable, very casual in many ways, and it's heading down a pathway that you could cross a sexual boundary in that relationship. What are you going to do now because you're a believer in Christ, you're a disciple of his, a follower of his, how are you going to handle that relationship going forward? And then those of us as believers in Christ, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We've devoted our lives to him. We want to be faithful to him in every single way. What are you going to do when opposition comes your way? Opposition because of your faith, because of your commitment, because of your surrender to Christ. What are you going to do? The time is now to think ahead and to say, when opposition comes or these other scenarios, here's what I'm going to do by the power of God and for his faithfulness. Here's how I'm going to respond to that. Jonah chapter 4, I want you to write these things down. Number one, God is still changing lives. Here's what we find here, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. He knew that God would change the lives of people. And Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh, and that's why he ran the other way. He wanted to see them have judgment, not grace, not mercy, but run the other way. But God is still changing lives because in Jonah chapter 3, the message of God is proclaimed, and there's this wonderful sign of repentance from the people there in the city of Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, and even the king. They're sackcloth, signs of repentance. God has moved in the city of Nineveh. God is changing lives. You say, well, that's in the city of Nineveh, but let's talk about our church. When I think about our congregation, what do we see God doing? Here's the good news. In our congregation, there are people who are being saved. In our congregation, there are people, as we witnessed this morning, who are following Jesus in Bible, biblical baptism. There are people in our church who are getting connected to connect groups, growing in God's word, but growing in relationships with other believers. There are people in our church who are growing as disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people in our church who are volunteering to say, God has called me to serve him, and I want my life to count. I'm going to be involved in the work of ministry. There are people in our church who are willing to go literally to the nations around the world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people in our church who are showing great signs of incredible generosity. We see God at work, not only in Nineveh, but he is at work in our church family family and fellowship. God is at work here. 
And then you say, well, God's at work here, but yeah, but just look around the world. What is God doing around the world? He is using men and women and nations around the world who are being persecuted, tortured, humiliated. They are faithful to Christ. They're willing to give everything to him. God, through the Holy Spirit, is working amazingly around the world. God is changing lives. He did it in Nineveh. He's doing it in Clarksville, Tennessee. He's doing it maybe where some people watch around the world, but he's doing it literally to the nations. The Spirit of God is at work. God is moving, and we see that. Look at number two. Opposition isn't abnormal. Now, when you, when you see this, you, you come, to, come to look at Jonah chapter 4, and God is facing opposition. He's facing opposition from who? He's facing opposition from Jonah. I mean, I mean, God, why did you do this? Why, why didn't you send judgment on these people? Why did you give them grace and mercy? I knew, God, this is what you do. Why? Because, God, this is who you are. You're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, relenting, all these things. God, I knew this would be what you would do. And God's facing opposition from one of his servants. So when you look at your life and you surrender your life and say, God, my yes is on the table. I'm willing to do whatever you ask. I will go wherever you send me. I'm going to be obedient to you, whether it's in my school, my workplace, family, city, nations around the world. You need to get ready. Opposition isn't abnormal. It comes to people. I mean, God's facing opposition, but then you look at the Bible. Moses, whom God called at the burning bush, it was a holy ground moment. Moses, he faced complaint after complaint, complaint about his leadership, and he was leading him out of slavery into the promised land. They still complained about Moses. You look at Daniel. Daniel was a young man with character and integrity. He honored God in every phase of his life. And then what happened to him? Here he is stoned into a lion's den. Jeremiah was this incredible set apart from birth. God's hand was on him to be a prophet. And Jeremiah faced ridicule after ridicule day in and day out. He was ridiculed because of his obedience to God. Then you look at the early believers. Here they are faithful to Christ in the book of Acts. Many of those early believers ended up facing persecution and prison. Why? Because they were faithful to Jesus in life. You look at the Apostle Paul, saved on the road to Damascus. The Spirit of God changed his life, called him to be a pastor, preacher, writer, missionary. God was using him in great ways, but the Apostle Paul, he knew pain, he knew persecution, he knew prison as well. Why? Because he was faithful to Jesus in his life. And then you look at the Son of God and saved the world. He was humiliated, he was criticized, but he was crucified at Golgotha. Why? For your sins and my sins opposition isn't that normal it happened to god the lord jesus but also to many of his servants when you say yes you surrender all your I mean, he is your priority in life you need to be prepared for opposition because it will come jonah is teaching us that in jonah chapter four number three it's all about me as you look at this story in Jonah chapter 4, he's angry, he's mad, he's, he's upset at God because of God's grace, compassion, and mercy. And then here he is, he, he's, it's all about him because Jonah comes to this place and it says he went and he sat down east of the city. He made a booth there. And what is he saying? He's wanting to die. He says in his past, now therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. Can you imagine that? Jonah, after seeing God move in, in Jonah chapter 3 in the city of Nineveh, this great outpouring of God's grace and mercy on the people of Nineveh. And here Jonah gets to be a part of that in chapter 4. He's warning Almighty God to take his life. He wants to die. He is in a deep valley in life. 
And here's what Jonah says, God, it would be better for me if I just died. Now, Jonah's not the only one in God's word who ever prayed to die. Elijah prayed to die one time. He, he just had enough. His focus was off. He asked God to take his life as well. Even Moses one time prayed that God would take his life and he would die. So you've got some great servants who knew spiritual mountains but spiritual valleys. But when you look at Jonah, it was all about him. Here's what happens. When you take your focus off God and you put it on yourself, you are traveling down a dangerous road in the spiritual life. Your focus matters. The church in Ephesus in Revelation, what do we see? They lost their focus. They abandoned. They forsaken their first love. Why? It was a focus issue. Jesus was no longer the priority. They had stepped away from him. It was on themselves. When you focus on yourself rather than God, you are headed for trouble. And here's what Jonah said on two different times. God, it is better for me. God, it is better for me. Anytime you start telling God what to do, that is a wrong approach to the Christian life. I mean, we don't tell God what to do. He tells you and me what to do. But here Jonah is. He is in this, in this deep valley telling God to say, God, it's better for me to go ahead and die. No, Jonah, that's not your plan. That's God's plan in your life. What does he want to do in your life? It was all about him. I just encourage us as a church, if we're going to go forward and we're going to see God do great things, our focus must be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't tell God what we would do. We have to say, God, here I am. You're the commander in chief. God, you tell me what to do and I'm ready to serve you wherever you call, whatever you ask. I'm willing to do it. That's the message of Jonah. When you look at this, you need to be prepared. Think ahead. Because you're going to face some opposition, some tough days. The enemy's going to tempt you to get your focus off. But you need to make sure your heart is right. Your eyes are on the Lord. He is the priority of your life. You need to make sure your life, our church, is all about the Lord Jesus Christ in life. Look at number two. Take advantage of opportunities to learn. Whatever age you are, whether you're a child, you're a student, you're an adult, whatever age you are, I pray you will always take advantage of opportunities to learn. And here's what I mean by that. Read God's Word. Spend time every single day of your life in the Word of God. Read good books, books that will nurture your heart, your spirit, expand your mind so that you can understand the heart and the leadership of God more. Listen to online resources, things that are credible, that will help you and stretch you in your understanding of God but His leadership in your life. Build relationships with other believers in Christ who will help you grow in your relationship as a disciple, someone who learns and followers in Christ. You build those relationships because why? You never want to stop learning in the spiritual life. The Apostle Paul, near his death, physical death, what he's still learning, still desires to know more. May you and I always have a teachable spirit in the Christian life. Take advantage of opportunities to learn. Get connected in small groups. Get connected in the worship service. Get connected in other relationships because you desire to learn the heart and the ways of God in life. Here Jonah is. Jonah's getting ready to, to, to deal with some issues. And so I want to ask you some things about Jonah's life that relate to you and me. And look at number one. Consider how much time you spend sitting. Look at this text again. Here we are, Jonah. He's wanting to die. God's asked him a question. And then in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the great city. So here Jonah is. He's just sitting still. Consider how much time you spend sitting. If we're not careful, 
in the spiritual life, we will justify our sitting. Well, I go to connect group and I sit there and listen to a Bible study teacher teach the Word of God. I come to a worship gathering and I sit there. Sometimes I'll stand, but I sit there, listen to the music, sometimes sing, participate, listen to God's Word, listen to a sermon, take some notes. And so what do we do? We sit, we sit, we sit. There's great value in sitting at times, but please know this, that God didn't save you merely to sit in your life. He saved you to serve Him in life. And somewhere if we're going to serve him, we must get up out of our seats, put our feet on the floor and say, Lord Jesus, I am your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have gifted me. You have left me here for a reason. You have saved me. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. How do you want me to serve you? And so as a child, as as a student, as an adult, you look at your life. Again, you've been gloriously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You have so much truth, so much information, so much contact with truth as well. How are you using that to serve Jesus in your life? Rather than just sitting, how are you serving him? So so with that, consider how much time you spend sitting. Yes, there's time. We want to be on our knees, our faces. We want to be seated. We want to be learning from him. But somewhere we've got to say, Lord, the time for me to sit is over. It's time for me to get up and go serve. I mean, there are needs in the lives of people that, God, you want me to meet. You want me to serve you in some way. Consider how much time you sit in the Christian life. Number two, identify what makes you satisfied. This story is quite fascinating because Jonah is angry. He's displeased at God. He's upset. He's mad. Why? Because the people of Nineveh have got right with God. There's been this great outpouring of repentance. So he's sitting there. He's made this booth. Now, the Lord appointed a plant to be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Listen, he didn't, get, he didn't get excited because the people of Nineveh got right with God, but he cracked a smile when that plant was over his head. Jonah's an interesting guy. It's interesting, too, in the book of Jonah that, that everything seemed to obey God except Jonah. I, I mean, the sailors obeyed God, the wind obeyed God, the storm obeyed God. Even, even, even the wind, and here we are, the plant even obeyed God. And we're going to see a worm here in a minute. The worm's even going to obey God. Everything here is obeying God except his servant, Jonah. And so what, what makes you satisfied? Here, Jonah, it was what? It was a plant that was over his head that brought him shade. He was satisfied. He was happy over that plant. What makes you happy? What kind of plants in your life make you happy? See, there are many of you who say, I'll get happy when I get a car. I'll get happy when I get a house. I'll get happy when I get a promotion, when my career reaches another level. I'll get happy when I get this degree. I'll get happy when I get married. They feel plants come in all shapes and sizes. What makes you happy in the Christian life? And God says, I want you to be satisfied and happy with me in life. He's going to give us so much more than we deserve, but are you happy with Jesus in your life? And here, here again... Jonah, he's, he's mad, angry at God because these people have repented, but he's happy over this plant that's giving him shade. Number three, make a list of your priorities. Make it, what, I mean, what, what are your priorities in life? If you made a list today of your priorities in life, what would be at the top of your list? What's number two, number three, number four? What is it? What is on your list? And if you looked at those priorities and anything other than God is at the top, then your priorities need to change. 
Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. We can appreciate, thank God for all the stuff in life, but he is to be the priority of our lives. Because here's what God will do. If your priorities are messed up, whatever plant you're happy and satisfied with, God can always provide a worm to come and eat it up. That's exactly what he did to Jonah. Jonah was happy with his plant. Finally, a smile cracked his face. He was excited about it. And then the next morning, God provided this worm, and it came and devoured that plant. Because you should never have houses, cars, careers, jobs, money, any of this stuff of this world as a priority before God in your relationship with him. He is always to be first in life. Again, we appreciate this stuff, but he is to be first. So when you look at it, when you look at your life, what is the priority of your life? You need to make a list, but also I just pray for you. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be first always in your life. Happen in life, John. Look at number three. Understand the purpose behind questions. As we look at this text, we find that we, God's been asking Jonah questions all along. Do you do well to be angry? Ask him that again. And then we find it's interesting in the book of Jonah that Jonah, there are two books in the Bible that end with questions, Nahum and Jonah. And so it just ends, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? That's a great question. There are 120,000 persons there who don't know their right hand to the left and even cattle. So God is closing this book with a question. Understand the purpose behind questions. Jesus asked people a lot of questions. I was somewhere yesterday, Angie and I were out in town for a little bit, I was somewhere and I was walking through this store and this guy said, how are you doing today? It's a question. But I also understood the question because he wanted me to say, doing fine, hope you're doing fine. He didn't want me to stop and say, you really want to know how I'm doing? I'm glad you asked. If you've got the next 30 minutes, I'd love to tell you some things. He wasn't interested in that. It's just a question that we ask people. Somebody's probably asked you that question already today. How are you doing? And the answer is fine, doing good. Hope you're doing well too. And you're not going to say, well, let me tell you some things here. But here's another question comes up sometimes. Sometimes somebody's going to say to you, I'm standing at a fork in the road. And I know God is, is, is up and, and working in my life. I'm standing at a fork in the road. I just don't know what to do. Do I go this direction, this direction? Can you help me discern what God wants me to do? That's a great question in the Christian life. Somebody else is going to come to you and say, I'm just struggling to know the will of God for my life. Well, why isn't God working? Why isn't he opening doors? What does God want out of my life? And they're walking through that, and then you get the opportunity to come alongside brother, sister in Christ, pray for that person, and help them discern the will of God from the Word of God, but the Spirit's work in his or her life. Those are legitimate questions. But also you're going to find in life, there are going to be times in the Christian life, you start obeying God and questions are asked and you start finding answers and you start seeing God at work. Some people are not going to like that. I knew a pastor. He, he, he was president before the Southern Baptist Convention. So this was a time he was pastoring a church in Georgia. And he was pastoring a church there and the Spirit of God was moving. People were being saved. People were being baptized. In fact, they were baptizing people every Sunday night during that time because they they had Sunday night services back then. This brother in Christ came to a deacon's meeting one night and and one of the deacons during a time of Q&A said to the pastor, Pastor, I understand we're baptizing every Sunday night. And then you have to realize though, before you came, we used to baptize once a month. 
We were able to save on the water bill. We baptize once a month if we have anyone to be baptized. Can't we start baptizing again once a month so we can get the water bill back down again? When the deacon said that to the pastor, and he responded, again, with the grace of God in that, but the good news is they kept baptizing people every Sunday night. I'd love for Clarksville Water and Gas to call us one day and to say, we're thinking at First Baptist Church, you guys must have a water leak down there somewhere because your water bill is so high. And we would say, praise God, there's no water leak. We're baptizing people every Sunday and Wednesday because the Spirit of God is saving boys and girls and men and women. We don't have a leak. The Spirit of God is at work in our church. And so you've got to be able to ask questions, understand the purpose of them, and God was moving. Now I want to finish here with these three very, very, very personal questions. I mean, God asked Jonah this question, but inside his question were these other questions as well. Look at number one. Is personal comfort more important than God's compassion? Think about that one for a few moments. Is personal comfort more important than God's compassion? I mean, Jonah did not like God's grace on the people of Nineveh. But he was super excited about that plant that grew over his head. His comfort was more important than God's compassion. I'm going to ask you, we've got a city filled with lost people. And God loves every single one of them. He created every single one of them because of the sanctity of human life. And when you think about how much God loves every person that you put your eyes to, that Jesus Christ gave his life for them, is your comfort more important than God's compassion? Somewhere may we pray as a church, God, will you get us uncomfortable? Will you get us out of our comfort zones so that we can have gospel conversations, so we can see more people come to Christ, so that they will experience your compassion in life? Could be a family member of yours, somebody you work with, you're in school with, somebody you meet in a restaurant. I had a gospel conversation with a gentleman the other day, a little bit aged in life, but I want him to know the compassion of God toward him. What about you? Is your personal comfort more important than God's compassion? I would say, God, make us uncomfortable if we can see more people come to Christ, more people repent, more people baptized, more disciples being made. God, make us uncomfortable to see that happen. Why? Because, God, your compassion is more important than our comfort. Number two, is the material more important than the spiritual? And I talked about this yesterday. This, this is one that would challenge us. Is the material more important than the spiritual? Am I more interested in houses and cars and, and, and bank accounts and career paths and all education, all these other things. Are those things more important than the spiritual? Seeing people come to Christ, seeing people repent of their sins, seeing God heal people physically, spiritually, relationally. Are those, what's more important to me, the material or the spiritual? And somewhere I pray we would come back again. For Jonah, the material was more important to him than the spiritual. God, I knew you would do that because I know that's who you are. You're a God of mercy, a God of grace. You've got steadfast love to people. God, I know that. But somewhere I pray in life, we would say, God, the spiritual is more important than the material. I'm not going to take any of this material stuff to heaven with me. But God, I do want to lay up treasures in heaven because one day I want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
I mean, I'm going to leave all this stuff behind, but God, I want to spend eternity with you and receive these rewards so I can cast them at the feet of Jesus in adoration and worship and glory to him. You desire to see that in your life, but that's where you've got to get to a point to say, God, I appreciate the material, but the spiritual is more important to me in life. Question three, is the temporal more important than the eternal? And for Jonah, he was focused on this plant. He was focused on his own comfort. He was focused on himself. It's all about me, he would say. He was focused on the temporal, and he lost sight of the eternal. Church, we appreciate all the stuff in life. I mean, God's given us great facilities. He's done all these things. Praise God for them, but they should never take the place of devotion and surrender to Jesus Christ in life. Why? Because the eternal is what drives us. We want to see people saved. We want to see people baptized. We want to see people get connected in connect groups. We want to see people growing, being called of God and being used around the world for the gospel. Why? Because the eternal is more important than the temporal to us. And it comes back again to say, is Jesus Christ your Savior, Lord? Is he the priority of your life? Is he number one in your life? And if he's number one in your life, here's what you're going to say. God, it's about your compassion. God, it's about the spiritual, and God, it's about the eternal. That's what my heart beats for. That's why I get up in the mornings. I appreciate all this other stuff. God, that's good. But it just helps me carry out your purpose for my life. Now, I want to ask kids and students and adults in the room and watching, is Jesus Christ the Savior of your life? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? And is Jesus Christ your first priority? If he's not, this is God's divine time for you to get that decision right. Our pastoral team is going to be here in the front. We're going to have prayer people here on the sides. You're watching whatever platform we're on. You can send us a message and we'll respond right back to you. But you have many opportunities, even this very moment, to surrender your life and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to take a step of obedience and be baptized as a believer in Christ. You have an opportunity to walk down one of these aisles and join the fellowship of this church to say, God, I want to grow here and be used here, and I want to serve here. God's calling you into ministry. You have an opportunity to make sure your yes is on the table. You're not going to run from God. You're not going to run away from him. You're going to run to him, and you're going to run for him in life. You can say yes to that today. You don't have to be a runaway servant. You can be someone who obeys him and follows his leadership in life. And it starts this very moment to say, Lord Jesus, give me Jesus and let him be the priority of my life. Yes, I want my life to be about your compassion, about spiritual issues, and about the eternal. Because one day I'm going to stand before you and I want my life to count for glory and for the kingdom of God. I don't want to waste my days on the stuff of this world. Let my life count for you. So let's bow together as we pray. And so I want to encourage you today in this room watching what spiritual decision do you need to make at this very moment to give your life to Christ and be obedient to him. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for giving us the story of Jonah. We identify with him so much, Lord, at least I know I do. But Lord Jesus, I pray my life is all about you. And I pray for people today who need to get saved, who need to be obedient in baptism, who need to join the fellowship of the church. What, what are we waiting on? Obey him today. 
who need to say yes to your call or even saying, what's God doing in my life? Can you help me discern that? Lord, we'd love to do that. And so in this invitation, as we sing this incredible song of response, Lord, I pray there would be an outpouring of your spirit and people would live with open hands and surrendered hearts to say, God, thank you for compassion. Thank you for your work in my life. And I obey you today. Give us Jesus, Lord. Give us Jesus. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this today. And thank you that we are sinners in the hands of a loving, faithful Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.